So this morning, we just pray that you would just come and overtake our hearts and our minds. Lord, let us marvel at the promise of peace that you have given, and Lord, how you have um, promised to restore in Christ. So Lord, we give you this time. Lord, speak through me in spite of me. God, whatever it takes, God, I pray that you would, just as just as uh, what Alexis prayed, that, that my words would be stripped away and only yours would remain, God. So Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time. We pray that you would be glorified, that we would be unified and lives transformed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Oh man, what a great start. Um, so just to give you kind of a running kind of momentum to where we are. Uh, throughout this Advent season, we're focusing kind of on this one thread that goes through all of our weeks, and that is this idea of shalom. And I say idea because it's hard to say that it's just defined in one spot. It's this pervasive kind of theme and reality that we see presented all throughout we got, uh, all throughout God's redemptive work and just the narrative that we see uh, through all of creation. And so I love it when we can just say shalom to one another, knowing that that is just saying peace be to you. So shalom. Shalom. Let's try it one more time because I know I caught you off guard. Shalom. Amen. So shalom is just this Hebrew word that translates peace, kind of, but that's, that's, that's the simplest translation, but it's bigger than that. It translates into this idea of soundness, of welfare, and of completeness. And really that completeness is an important picture to grasp if you want to understand what we're talking about in this peace, this shalom. And then we've kind of been defining as far as our experiencing of God's shalom is the reality of God's promised peace. So last week we looked at Shalom's enemy, and, and, and as we did that, we saw that we had to start from the beginning and see that God created all things good. He created them good, he created them perfect, and he created them complete out of love for his glory. So we saw that last week, but we saw that there's, there, there came this problem. And when we, along with Adam and Eve, when we all rebelled, when we all sinned against God, sin and evil and death entered into this world, into this existence, into yours and my experience. All at that time, all that was whole and complete is now fractured and distorted. All relationship was fractured, as we talked about last week. We see the relationship between us and creation, the strain of, of our existence in creation here, um, the, the fracture of relationship with us and one another, and then ultimately and most devastatingly, the fracture of our relationship with God, the Father, our Creator. And, and we talked about how important it was to understand this because understanding this gives us the ability to understand the hardship of this world. Because when we look around, we see that it is not that God is not good, but it is that we sinned against him and all was broken and God is working to restore. We mustn't make the mistake of, of thinking that the experience of needing shalom is only external, that it's only about making what we experience right and better and, 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 and more palatable. In fact, that's only the, the symptom of, of kind of the, the greatest and truest enemy of shalom. And, and just to kind of finish our summary area, I appreciate how Paul, David, Tripp, anyone that goes by three names is really wise. Um, so Paul, David, Tripp, I appreciate how he said this. He is such a great uh, shepherding pastor. He shepherds hearts so well. So he said this. 
He said, and it's on the screen for you because uh, it's kind of long. It says, there was no other way because our big problem in life is not familial or historical or societal or political or relational or ecclesiastical or financial, and I'm going to add, or any other old that you can find, the biggest, darkest thing that all of us have to face and that somehow, some way influences everything we think, say, and do isn't outside of us. It's inside. Sure, you can run from a bad relationship, you can quit a bad job, you can move from a dangerous neighborhood, and you can leave a dysfunctional church, but you have no ability whatsoever to escape yourself. You and I simply have no ability to rescue ourselves from the greatest danger in our lives. So how do we have any hope of peace today? How are we to overcome Shalom's enemy so this brings us to today's message, Shalom Promised. And, and, and why do we make promises? Why do we make promises? My kids understand the power of a promise. Surprise, I'm doing an illustration with my kids. My kids understand the power of a promise. If you don't know, in the Haynes house, um, Friday nights are camp out on the couch nights at the Haynes house. And it's, it's most often Friday night. Every now and then it gets pushed to Saturday, but it's Friday. Friday is camp out on the couch at Haynes night. And so oftentimes on the way to school, um, on Friday mornings, my kids will ask me, hey, do we get to camp out on the couch tonight? And I'll say, yes, you do. And then they will often reply with something of the nature of, do you promise? And then I say, I think, like, I better make sure. Yes, I do promise. And, and the thing is, is that when they ask that question, they understand that promises are binding. Whether they can tell you that or not, they understand that a promise is binding. They also know that who the promise come from, comes from matters. It wouldn't matter at all if they were to say, Daddy, do you promise? And I say I do if, I'm not a, if I don't try to be a good daddy. If I, if I just flippantly say, yeah, I promise, and then I never worry about keeping my word, they would quit asking me because it wouldn't matter. But they say, do you promise? And because I am a dad who intends to love and lead them with, with grace and integrity and, and show them what it is to honor truth, then they know that when I say I promise, I'm going to do everything I can to fulfill that promise. And so because I am a good dad, that promise holds power. So my promise to them allows them to go throughout their day, their Friday, confident that Friday night they're going to get to sleep on the couch. They don't think about it again, probably, until, and literally, let me just go ahead and further this illustration. I really don't think they do, because oftentimes they'll ask me in the morning, and then Friday, Friday evening at some point, they'll go, oh yeah, sleep on the couch night. And it's because they just kind of live with this assured comfort that there is a promise that is being kept. And so our promise, a promise is binding. If the promise giver is good, then it's also comforting, and it allows you to persevere with with confidence. So if we, are to have, if we are to have any comfort or confidence in this life, we are in great need of a good promise from a good promise maker. Paul David Tripp closes his thought with this. He said, if you had none of the above problems in your life, you would still be in grave danger because of the danger you are to yourself. If the only thing human beings needed were a little external tweaking of their life circumstances, then the coming of Jesus to earth wouldn't make any sense. But if the greatest danger to us, to all of us, lives inside of us and not outside of us, then the radical intervention of the incarnation of Jesus is our only hope. This means that without the birth of Jesus, we are doomed to be destroyed by the danger that lurks inside us from the moment of our first breath.
So instead of viewing God as, as absent or ambivalent in this world and in this life, if we acknowledge him, what we actually see is we see a generous, gracious God who is moved with compassion to restore what was lost. So here's our main point. God's promise will give you the power and patience to persevere in experiencing the presence of his pervasive peace. Did you catch that? Hopefully some of the peas will stick. God's promise will give you the power and patience to persevere in experiencing the presence of his pervasive peace. Anybody else want to try? It's not on the screen, sorry. A promise, a true promise from a true promise maker and keeper allows us to live in a present reality of what is yet to come. Go ahead and open your Bibles to Genesis 3, uh, 14. There will also be verses on the screen, um, as well as uh, the YouVersion Bible app. You can follow along there. Um, just click on more down at the bottom. Click on events. will pop up. And if you'd like to follow on the Bible, feel free. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible, look underneath the chair near you. There's one there. And if you are without a Bible at all in your life, please take that. That's our gift to you. So we're going to start in Genesis 3.14. We're going to hit quite a bit of uh, scripture today from, from all over, uh, again, because this is a theme that kind of permeates all of scripture, uh, and so it might just be easier for you to follow along in the app or on the screen. Um, so so uh, today we'll see two promises that God has made that allows us to live in shalom. So first, let's just jump right in. I'm not going to tell you in both to start with. We're going to go through them as we go. So the first promise that God has made that allows us to live in shalom, this reality, this present reality of a pervasive truth and peace is this, that God promised to redeem. God promised to redeem because remember, what, what is our greatest enemy? It is our own sin. That, that that standing before God was broken and fractured, that our relationship was severed. So we started last week with this bleak picture of the sentence upon Adam and Eve and all of creation as we looked at Genesis 3, 16, and 17, where we see that, 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 that through pain, children will come, that through toil, we will eat by the sweat of our brow, and futility of work entered and death entered is kind of what we saw last week. So now here we are kind of in these same moments of where Adam and Eve have been called and they're before God, and the judgment comes down. Genesis 3, 14 and 15 says this, The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And now hear this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And now remember what we said last week near the end. We talked about kind of this moment, and we pointed back to the God's heart in creation. Remember this, that, that God created for his glory. He created us for his glory, but also for relationship. He created all that he did motivated by love. And you remember how we got there last week? Because we said if it, was, if it wasn't for his desire for relationship, he didn't need to create us at all because his glory was intact. His glory is found completely in himself. He doesn't need us to, to show his glory, but he desires to. He created us for that, but yet he also created us for relationship. And so we saw that last week. Now, once again, we see the same heart on high display that even though this, this, this magnificent, glorious, sovereign creator God created these and, and was absolutely generous in every way and made it perfect and pristine, and yet somehow they thought they knew better. And instead of just smashing them, 
Yes, consequence comes, but what does he do? This passage here, in the middle of the judgment, we see this, this moment where this heart to restore and a heart to redeem is immediately intermingled because you can't separate God's perfect judgment and his mercy and love because he is all that he is at all times. And we see in Genesis 3.15, which is known as the Proto-Evangelium, which is the first proclamation of the gospel, this first announcement that there will be victory. There will be a restoration when you see at this moment, you see that he says, you know, I will put enmity between you and the woman speaking to the serpent, which is Satan, and between our offspring and her offspring. And it says he, notice the shift, He's not talking about her anymore. He's talking about he, and he's talking about the coming deliverer, Messiah, Jesus. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his hill. And if you don't know, bruising of the hill is just a wound. Bruising of the, of the head is a death blow. So he's saying, yes, you will have your moment, and you will afflict some damage, but you will not be victorious because Jesus will defeat evil. He will defeat death. He will defeat you, Satan. And so what a promise. So this promise to redeem right in the moment that it all fell apart, God's heart for you never paused. He never got lost in his anger and forgot for a moment why he created you. In the moment where in his perfect justice, he, 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 he came down and, pro- and proclaimed again this, this heartbreaking reality that, that all was severed, but also this beautiful picture of grace and hope and love. And make no mistake, God has never changed. He didn't institute grace with Jesus. There was always grace. Always. So at this moment that all was fractured and broken and all seemed lost, but God still spoke life and hope. This heart from God for his people continues through all of history. God establishes and repeats a covenant of peace with his people over and over again. Would you like to hear one? Yeah. Covenant of peace. Ezekiel 37, 26 through 27. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will set them in their land and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. And that's a beautiful, just reading it, you kind of get the sense of this, this love. You get a sense of the work that is at hand, but don't miss that this totally shows that it's all about relationship. God wants relationship. Again, hear the relational words of this covenant of peace. My dwelling place shall be with them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. There is a belonging that God wants to, he is covenanting and working to restore. God has been working his mission of redemption from the moment of the fall, and it always it has always been by and through Jesus. Always. God's promise is that we could go from an enemy of God to reconciled and at peace with him. Remember, like I've already said, we don't want to, like the good news is not good news without the bad news, and, and the good news far outshines the bad news here, but it's, but it's so important for us to remember, like it is our sin that is the enemy of shalom in the first place, not just the experience of our life. It is through the work of Jesus that we've been invited into peace with God once again through Jesus. Colossians 1, 20 through 22 says this, And through him to reconcile to himself, that's Jesus, all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. 
And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Is that good news? To be presented holy and blameless, you who were once ashamed and just dingy with sin, dingy with shame and and guilt, do you see that? He, he is making it, he has reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before God. Does that blow you away? Does that comfort you? What is the enemy of peace in your life? What is it that weighs down your conscience? What is it that causes you to go on your day just kind of trying not, to, trying not to disturb anything or trying not to get noticed because you don't want to be discovered for what you see yourself as? Again, God is he's working in Christ to, to restore us to be what we were created to be, to restore us into relationship, to restore us to be sons and daughters, co-heirs with Christ, to see yourself as he sees you as that. Adopted sons and daughters, sinners made saints. One more amazing thing. (laughs) One more. Um, So God made this promise, but he didn't just leave it to you to cling to or to remember by your own strength. He didn't leave it to you as if it's up to you to hold on. What did he do? He gave us the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? We see two places here, Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, until we acquire acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. God gave us the Holy Spirit. He gave us the Holy Spirit as an earnest payment, as a deposit to claim what is his? This proclamation that he made here saying like, hey, I've given you the Holy Spirit. He is the guarantor of your inheritance until you acquire possession of it. He's saying that the reason why he does this is not so that you could hold God to his promise. This proclamation is so that we can hold on to God's promise that he has worked in us through Jesus. Do you get that distinction? Like why, that, why I'm pointing that out? Because we see here this, in him also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of your inheritance. So it's not that you can say, hey God, I've got my proof here. Don't forget the promise you made to me. It's so that you can remember, oh, God made this promise to me. My hands are weak. My will is flighting. But he holds me in Christ, and he's given me the Holy Spirit as a deposit. Just like when you make an earnest payment on the house that you're buying, that you will follow through with the contract, this work of the Holy Spirit being given us is that promise, God's good deposit in you, that he will follow through with keeping that covenant and contract. And then we see the other work of the Holy Spirit, Romans 5, 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through who? 
the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Don't miss that. The Holy Spirit has been given to us, and one of his kindest works that he does is that he advocates God's love, law, and favor to you and me so that we would remember God's promise, so that we would remember what God has done to restore. So the Holy Spirit works as an advocate. Just as Jesus advocates our innocence and his righteousness to the Father, the Holy Spirit advocates God's love, law, and favor to you and me. So it's not just up to us with the grit of our strength to hold on to the promise, but it is the work of Christ and the Holy Spirit that helps us to live in that assurance. So we see that the first promise God made to ensure the power and presence of pervasive peace in us is that he will redeem us in Christ. So what's the second promise? God promised to restore He promised to restore all things. There is no peace without our redemption in Christ because we remain at enmity with God. Again, it's relational. There's no peace without our relationship being restored in Christ. But it's also the promise of God to restore all things that gives us an even greater ability to have a persevering peace regardless of the trials of this world. We can't escape him. Trials are a sure thing. And this is how we can live with a persevering peace. We must remember what we said last week. Again, we've said it today too. God created all things good out of love for his glory. We were created to live in that reality. We were created for that and to live out God's purpose of, 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 of spreading his image and his glory across the entire face of the earth and, the earth. and the, our sin broke everything. The, the discord and the brokenness of this reality and this present life is... is our experience, but the temporal things of this world, what we see, they're off-center. So while we were created beautifully and purposefully in God's image, we now live in a world experiencing what it would be like to be this accomplished, like crazy trained brain surgeon and then told to go and build a house, right? You've got these amazingly skilled hands that can do this amazing work of beauty, but yet they are ill-equipped to go and build a house. You might could get a shelter in place, but to actually build it with the right finishing and, and up to code and that is sure and sturdy and will stand the test of time, a brain surgeon is not trained for that. And so we live in this world, while we are beautiful because we were created in God's image, we are still also straining to actually live what we were created for because it's all been fractured. And so the first step is God redeeming us to restore us to that. And now we get to live with this persevering peace and hope because of the promise that all will be restored, right? We live with it, um, with the internal experience of peace because the Prince of Peace reigns in our hearts and we're being transformed by our minds, but we also have a future hope where we see this in Revelation 21, 1 through 6. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Does that sound familiar? Does it sound like the covenant of peace we just read? He will wipe away every tear from their eye. Hear this picture of what is to come. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. 
And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. So the redeeming work of Christ gives us peace relational. The pro- peace relationally. The promise of God to restore all things gives us the ability to walk with confidence and with an incorruptible hope of that peace. So next week, we're going to look at shalom together and how we are to be purveyors of God's peace to each other and to the entire world. And then the weekend of Christmas on the 23rd, we're going to celebrate the reality of shalom forever and how we can actually live in this peace, pursue experiencing this peace because of Jesus coming to earth, incarnating in to our deed. Today, hear the promise God has made to you. Know that he keeps his promise to redeem you and restore all that is broken from inside of you to every crack and crevice of all creation. God's promise has power because he is a good promise giver and a promise keeper. He promises over and over again to keep his promises. Peace starts in your heart, starts in the work that is done on the inside. If you need to surrender and trust Jesus as your Savior today, as your restorer of peace, don't hesitate. Hear the glorious invitation. Hear his love for you. Hear his promise of peace. If you are a Christ follower, I pray that you feel the wonderful strain of being pulled between the full breadth of God's promise. What do I mean by that? Is that you are totally locked into the now, totally locked into this reality of a peace that surpasses all understanding regardless of what's happening around you that comes from the work of Jesus in your life. I mean, you are locked in. And at the same time, you are, full, you are so full of a hope of what will be because of God's beautiful promise of restoring all things forever. And you just live in this glorious tension of the already not yet reality of God's promise of peace. Man, like what a beautiful strain to be under. Because that's the promise and that's reality. All through, this all happens through the glorious revelation of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to close with one more quote from Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon. And then... Here we go. It is the height of grace that Jehovah should be in covenant with man, a feeble, sinful, and dying creature. Yet the Lord has solemnly entered into a faithful compact with us, and from that covenant he will never turn aside. In virtue of this covenant we are safe. As lions and wolves are driven off by shepherds, so shall all noxious influences be chased away. The Lord will give us rest from disturbers and destroyers. The evil beasts shall cease out of the land." Oh, Lord, make this your promise good even now. The Lord's people are to enjoy security in places of the greatest exposure. Wilderness and woods are to be as as pastures and folds to the flock of Christ. Hear this. If the Lord does not change the place for the better, he will make us better in the place. The wilderness is not a place to dwell in, but the Lord can make it so. In the woods, one feels bound to watch rather than to sleep, and yet the Lord gives his beloved sleep even there. 
Nothing without or within should cause any fear to the child of God. By faith, the wilderness can become the suburbs of heaven and the woods the vestibule of glory. So, so much wrapped up in that. Hear the invitation and the promise that it is the work of God in Christ in and through you and not yours to somehow work and, 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 and attain yourself. You cannot earn this. You can pursue it. It is earned by Christ. God's promise to redeem you in Christ and restore all things will give you the power and patience to persevere as you experience the presence of his pervasive peace. Let this be what you celebrate this season. Let's pray. So God, what a promise. We thank you, Lord, that your heart of love and grace never ceased. Your mercy was never, never stayed. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for being true to your word and command. Lord, that somehow we could not sway you to acquiesce, to allow space for destruction. But Lord, in your great love, you brought consequence to turn us once again back to what is good, back to what was intended in creation. So as we strain in this life, in this world, let us not be dismayed. Let us not grow weary. But as we do, because we are human, let us come to you, boldly approaching the throne of grace, hearing your invitation to restore in Christ, and Lord, being able to walk with boldness and courage and confidence because of your promise to restore all things. So Lord, we love you. Continue to move in this time as we respond in communion. Let us be a people that live with the reality of experiencing the presence of your pervasive peace. In Jesus' name, amen.